Once upon a time, there were tens of thousands of makers struggling. Every day they built for hours and hours, but didn't ship and did not earn enough income. One day, the No Code Wealth podcast came to help them find a way. Because of this, makers became founders and lived the lives they deserve. Because of that, founders live lives of abundance, freedom, and creativity. That's what I'm really all about. Hello, my name is Aziz, and from being a poor boy born to a single mother in North Africa with no opportunities, just sheer hard work, to failing multiple startups yet learning a whole lot to barely escaping alive the war in Ukraine, even living as an illegal immigrant, I've lost everything twice, and now I'm rebuilding my life one more time, 1% a day, sharing the wisdom of luminaries I've interviewed on this podcast from Google executives, Goldman Sachs, the Financial Times, Forbes Technology Council, World Economic Forum, Harvard University, and even a priest from the Vatican Church. Everyone is welcome here. So let's begin. My guest today is Jason Todd. Jason is a strategic advisor, an interventionist, a consultant, and the keynote John Maxwell speaker. For over 20 years, Jason has helped businesses see the bigger picture and use that vision to eliminate the constraints that clutter the path to success. His experience ranges from business ownership, marketing and consulting, to software application development for small to large and multinational corporations. In addition to a lot of fascinating tips and ideas, we will discuss together what you think versus how you think, as well as the, the definition of an interventionist. Jason, how are you today? I'm very well. Thanks for having me. It's my privilege. It's my honor. It's really going to be i'm really excited about this and i will begin with this question what do you notice as the biggest challenge or problem that business people or people in general have when it comes to the issue of what they think versus how they think okay well i'm glad that you posted as business people or people in general because businesses are a what happens in a business is an outcome of what happens in the person uh and so trying to separate this idea that we are part business person and part normal, like regular everyday human, uh, is, is a fallacy. And I think people try and do that. So I, to, to understand this idea of what you think versus how you think and how, how that works out, when we are young, we are entered into a schooling system that creates rules for us. And and, the, and those rules play out in the future as well. So you know, in a lot of in in most schools, let's say, you know, a teacher stands up at the front, and then there are rows of, you know, desks, and 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 even as adults, if somebody stands in the front of a room and says, you know, puts their hand up, you know, grown adults will all of a sudden start turning in it and 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 align themselves basically like, oh, we must be listening to a teacher. We must be listening to you know, the, this person of, of authority because that was programmed, you know, from a very young age. So we, we get into these repetitive patterns that play out 
in our personal lives and then we play them out in our businesses as well. So this idea of how you think and what you think, um, the, the challenge is understanding what rules can be broken, what rules shouldn't be broken, but under, kind of understanding the idea that a lot of what you are doing is habitual. It's not, it's not uh, necessarily even good for you, healthy for you, working. Uh, but you, but we get our, ourselves caught in habits uh, because that's all we knew from from growing up. So breaking out of the mold, inviting new voices into our lives, so as to identify new patterns of thinking for new challenges, that is a big challenge for people uh, because it means sometimes separating this idea that maybe what we thought yesterday was wrong, or at least not good for us, uh, and being able to change that today. Thank you. So if I understood you correctly, you're speaking about social programming that in reality, we grew up externalizing the source of thinking, the source of telling us what is real and what is not to someone outside of ourselves, outside of our experience. And we're acting like automatons, just uh, replaying those things that were programmed into us. And the challenge is that we live in a reality that is not as stable or if it ever were stable, but it's not as stable as those times or when those rules were created. And therefore, we might be operating on things that are not in touch with the reality. And therefore, we need to think as well as get perspectives from people who can see our blind spots in order to tell us more about what's happening now so that we can act based on reality rather than the illusion that we accept just because someone else told us so. Is this correct? Yes. You talked about externalization, the idea that we externalize and pull into ourselves instead of thinking for ourselves. We always externalize. It's the only way we get new information. Nobody exists in an island and just spins around in their head. Uh, and the people who do actually go insane. That's uh, if you, like, like if you took a, a person and put them into social isolation, you will drive that person absolutely mad. Their brain cannot exist without externalization of new information. The, the opportunity is to figure out where are you going to go get that information? Who's going to bring that to you? You also talked about, and being very clear on um, not all the inf uh, filtering that information, not all information that you bring in is necessary and beneficial for you. Uh, the other thing you talked about is um, the the idea of reality, that somehow reality is unstable, more unstable today than it ever has been, and I don't think that's true. Reality is always unstable. Reality is my, uh, the reality as I see it is not reality as you see it. Uh, we need, we need alternative viewpoints uh, because part, what you, what you see in the world is very dramatically differently, different in all likelihood than what I see in the world. And the, you know, this idea of reality, uh, the truth is somewhere, somewhere where we overlap. That's how we get along. Uh, and, uh, and so being able to invite those multiple viewpoints, you know, to your point, externalizing, getting those multiple viewpoints back into our, you know, quote unquote reality, and then figuring out how we're going to build new habits off of that to to make our lives better. However we can, however however we can define that, you know that's that's up to us. So we need to be very careful about who we bring into our into our sphere of influence, uh, and 
recognize that we're already wrong in some way to some degree we are not yet aware of and i need your help to figure out what that is thank you i love this i'm gonna play the devil's advocate a little bit to challenge this point although it's very well said and it's two ideas that might challenge it one is the science of randomness that in reality you think that you're getting new ideas from people and acting and that's what's leading to the outcomes but often you're just happening to be in the right place at the right time and there are so many factors that control the results that are out of your direct control that is it really that useful to spend time reflecting rather than acting in order to generate more results that's one and the second is systems thinking where the system determines the behavior and outcomes of the parts of it and systems are so hard to change that some experts believe you cannot change a system you can just break it and build a new one because the first the prime directive of a system is to survive and therefore if you try to change it it will fight you with everything in its power and often it's stronger than you as an individual or a small group so randomness and the system fighting you is it really that useful to do all those things if there are so many stronger powers at play that determine the outcome really all right great i love this talk uh so you talked about randomness and what and your point on randomness was that does it really kind of matter are we are we are we uh um are we deluding ourselves into thinking that somehow we're making a we're making an impact or we're actually changing our thoughts because you know, are all things random? Yes, it's more, uh, do you remember like the Fortuna, the goddess that all you can do is force it to spin the wheel and therefore spending time spinning the wheel of fortune in order to get an outcome is the best use of your time because you don't control anything else other than action. You know, if you think about some people where they say, uh, what's success? Uh, behave and act. 10 times more than you're currently acting and 1% of those times you'll get lucky into the good results and it's not about much more than that. So what's your perspective on this? I'll, I'll challenge that on the idea of randomness and we could probably, we need to get somebody smarter on the podcast than you or me, but uh, here's my understanding of randomness. There's actually nothing that's random. There's only sufficiently complicated that we don't understand how, how carefully it's how, how carefully it's designed. There's actually nothing that's random. In fact, you could take a computer and try and generate a random number and you can't do it. It will, there are no random numbers. The the how the system is built, everything comes back to how the system is built. To your point of systemization, can you actually change the outcomes? And the idea is, well, with sufficient complication, yes. Uh, and you could you can interject something into random, you know, so like a random number generator, you have to give it a seed. You have to give it a seed number on a computer. If you gave it the same seed number, you will all it will tend to create the same numbers. That's why you have so you have to change the seed. It actually so this actually to my point all comes back to somebody with some intelligence somewhere created a system that tends to lead to the outcome. And for us as people, it's what we believe. It has nothing to do with facts. It has everything to do with what we believe. If I believe that the sky is blue, right? The sky is blue. To me, and you could argue, and you say, "Well, yeah, but the sky's kind of—it's kind of like a light blue with a little bit of white, and you know, plus it's getting a little orange around the edge." Okay, they're both true, but I'm going to go with it's—it's it's blue. If I think that you know people can, uh, so here's you know, so kind of a weird, weird example, but 
Uh, I hired a person a long time ago, and they 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 were resistant to taking the job because I had never posted the job online. I had never put a job listing out, and they thought people don't get jobs just by who they know. I was like, no, that's absolutely not true. You you absolutely could just call somebody up and say, hey, I know so and so, and get an interview and get a job. And they had never, it was never on their map that you could do that. They thought, what I have to do is I have to go online, I have to take a job listing, I have to you know, put, put my resume in, I have to fill out an application, I have to get an interview, I have to get passed through these levels of interviews. So there's only, there's only information that we don't know uh, in rules that we are not yet aware of that actually do exist. My world exists where I, you know, I could just call somebody up. And other people don't exist in that reality until you show them that reality. And, and so this idea of the, the system, the system is always created by somebody. It's always created with some sort of intelligence. And you can even argue that the universe is created with some sort of intelligence because there's nothing random. Proven time and time again, there's absolutely nothing random. There's only sufficiently complicated that we haven't figured it out. Thank you. I love this. And if I understood you correctly, even from before, your point is each person has their own map. We're looking for the intersection of maps in order to understand what is reality and what is common ground between everybody, because that's more proven than the rest of it, which could be your own uh, individual take on things. And then I will challenge you again, because you said everybody was born programmed uh, somehow by society. Well, as human beings have parents, they normally go through the same journey of childhood, of uh, adolescence and all that. So how diverse really are those maps? Because if you're thinking about it, well, we're not going far enough outside of the system in order to see it. It's like a fish being in the water, looking at other fish to ask them about water. Well, all the fish are inside the water, so you need to speak to an eagle or something. But as humans, where do we find that? Or is this just something that's based on wrong assumptions? It's based on wrong assumptions because, to your point, I think what you talked about is like the, uh, you know, we were raised, you know, I was raised by my parents who were raised by their parents. My life, the, how I, how I, the practical working out of my life is not remarkably, is, is remarkably, excuse me, different than what my grandparents were, right? My grandpa was a bread truck driver. My grandma was a librarian. My grandma was so afraid that she didn't, to, to drive, she never got her license. Now, the principles by which they lived their lives, how they take care of one another, how they took care of their children, that played out to my parents. And the principles of how my parents, so my parents then, my dad started a, you know, a company and my mother helped him and, you know, they had a couple kids and we traveled a bit more maybe than my grandparents did and we had different opportunities, we had more money. I grew up then in that household, but how how my parents treated us is very similar to how my grandparents treated the kids, right? And how I raised my kids and how I live my life is very similar to how my parents lived their lives. However, my dad is never, you know, he's, he doesn't talk with random strangers, you know, around the world on podcasts and video casts. And he doesn't have, you know, I've got something like 8,500 LinkedIn connections. He may, he, I'm not even sure if the man is on LinkedIn. So how 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 we work out the things that we believe, that map like you talk about, is different for each of us. And that gets back to you know, your point of how you think versus what you think. And here's, here's, a, here's a critical point, that what you believe is how you act. And so this idea that you talk about intersection of stories, 9-11, so September 11th, you know, 2001, whatever it was, the, the uh, a criti critical day for, you know, for the United States. 
there was a psychology professor at the time, and I love this story, the psychology professor at the time, who had the presence of mind to have everybody in the class write down where they were at, who they were talking to, what happened, all the events of their day, I think the day after 9-11. Then he had them write that same, and then he collected all their papers, right? He had them write the same thing a year later, and 50%, roughly 50% of each of their memories were incorrect. They were. They said they met with somebody. Were at some place that they were not with. They, you know, that that person was like not at the school or whatever. Uh, and 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 his whole point was: the further we get away from our, uh, further we get away from an event, or our understand our you know our understanding of events change over time, and they become more self-centered. We become somehow the hero of our story. Uh, we we tend to create a reality of whatever we believed because our reality is not based in facts. And his whole point was this idea that the best thing you can do when working with other people, and we have to because we live on a planet of eight and a half billion people, the best thing you can do is figure out where, this, where things overlap and operate out of that. And everything else, you're just gonna have to let it go. And it'll change for sure. My belief system's gonna change, your belief system's gonna change, and then there are parts of it that are never gonna change. And you know what? Oh well, that's the way it is. Do you wanna get along or not? And we can choose to get along, or we can choose to say, "Hey, peace out." I'm, you know, we're not going to get along and go about our business. That's that's just that. You know, if you, if you want the purest form of reality, it's we each have a belief system, we each operate out of that, and if we want to get along, we just have to figure out where we can find common ground. Thank you. But then, where would creativity come from if all our focus is on the common ground and we let go of everything else? That's the that's the essence of creativity. So if let's say let's say we need to get along, let's you know like let's say you and I are in this space and we have to work, you know, at an organization because that's what we keep agreeing to each day. We're just going to agree to work at this organization. We have to agree to some outcome. What outcome are we going to get to? I come at it with my experience. You come at it with your experience. I might know something that you don't know. You definitely know something I don't know, and we're going to have to come up with a solution to find that common ground. That's creativity. That's a, that's a creative way of making it through life. Uh, and because life is, life can be, and it doesn't have to be, people get into, you know, serious habits and never change. And they become the crazy cat lady down the street, you know, who doesn't ever go out of her house. And, or if you're going to do, if you're going to go live life, it's an exercise in creativity, challenging our own belief systems figuring out what we're willing to change, what we're not willing to change, understanding that I'm already wrong in some way, to some degree I'm not yet aware of, and you might have the information that I need to be able to move my life along. It's all creative, and it's not random. It's very, it's very, it's very well designed, and it's been that way uh, for as long as we can remember. Thank you. I love this. I will ask a question that might not seem to be related at first, but it is very much. And there are two schools of thought when it comes to optimization or improving anything. There is a school of thought that says, improve everything you can improve, look at every part of your business, maximize it, work with it in the best way possible. While people like the, who think, since you mentioned constraints in your introduction about theory of constraints, they say, look, a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. 
and in every system or life or business, there is one thing that is the weakest link. Anything else you work on is wasted because you're creating potential that cannot be realized until you let go of the bottleneck or constraint or whatever, and therefore find the constraint and fix it and then move on to the next thing. Anything else is wasted. What's your perspective on this? Because I hear a lot of people who will say, oh yeah, go improve yourselves and improve your production and go improve everything and the outcome will be that everything will be improved. While in a TOC or theory of constraints, they say sometimes it's in your mind, the bottleneck, and no matter how many things you improve, you won't improve anything because the assumption itself is the problem. What's your perspective on this? I'm going to give you an answer which seems unrelated and then I'll tie it back around. I was uh, making coffee this morning after having just fed my dog and cool, cool new little puppy, super excited uh, and super excited to eat, super excited to drink uh, because he's only been on the planet for four and a half months. So he ate his food and, at, and then he started drinking his water right as I'm trying to make my coffee. And I want, and I can't really make quite the sound that he makes, but it's something like I hate chewing noises. I hate them. I never want to listen to you drink water. Is it something to be improved? Well, it has not been improved. I've been on the planet for 44 years and it has not yet improved. And I've raised three children and I hated to listen to them chew and eat as well. Sometimes I hate to listen to myself chew and eat. Is it something to be optimized and improved? Mm, probably not. Because if I was to optimize or improve that, the only way out is to kill my dog. <laughs> or to tell my children, I'm not gonna eat with you anymore because I'm being driven insane. I tried to optimize that. I could go to see maybe a therapist and maybe hypnotism, some, like how would I possibly optimize my way out of that? It's not possible. I'm gonna, I'm gonna wipe it off and I'd rather have my dog and I'd rather have good relationships with my kids. So I'm gonna let it be. I'm just gonna manage it and know that it's there and I'm going to maybe try and put myself in situations where I can just kind of suck it up and be okay with it, right? And 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 in 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 a business system, sometimes those same things are present, right? And if we try and optimize our way out of everything, we can we can go about destroying the very thing which keeps it together, which are relationships. There are other people who have to be involved, and sometimes we get about this idea of optimization, and it carries a little bit too far. Sometimes just leave it well enough alone. It's fine. Life was actually not designed to be optimized. Life was designed to be lived. I love that. Yes, life was not designed to be optimized. It's designed to be lived. And okay, I will ask you another thing, because you're speaking about priorities, values, and all that, and how to know, even when we spoke previously about the information, to know which information is relevant and not. And basically, everybody says you have to have a clear vision and the vision is the filter for everything you do, everything you learn, everything you let in or out. And that's the only way to live. Otherwise, if all the roads are leading to Rome, well, you can, you know, end up anywhere or whatever it is. So I'll ask you two things. People, there is this thing which people have even with niching down where if they choose a specific niche they will think oh my god i'm leaving so much business on the table the second thing when it comes to vision they think if i have this clear crystal clear specific vision one what if it's the wrong vision <laughs> two what if i change my mind when i arrive there and i find it's not right 
three i don't know because i'm not at that vision i'm here i am not yet the person who can create that vision and therefore i don't know what i will think when i arrive there and those three are related so how can people really clarify that's why many people don't have a clear vision because they don't want to decide how can people know the value of a vision how much clarity is good enough for a vision and the important thing how can people overcome that misalignment where they cannot have their mind their heart and their body or action aligned toward that vision because there is always a doubt that maybe it's not the perfect one that's a very deep question i think as you know so I've worked a lot with entrepreneurs, hundreds of entrepreneurs, maybe a thousand or more by now. And there's a entrepreneurial vision that each entrepreneur has. They've got a, you know, an idea that they want to see created, uh, some business they want to see launched. And the vast majority of them are crap. They're, it's not a good idea. It's been done before. They're trying to do it faster, better, cheaper, and they're not going to be able to uh, they're overlapping on something that, you know, is, is not some, it's not a problem to be solved. Uh, it's a, you know, problem to be managed. Uh, they don't know enough about the space that they're trying to operate in. They just have this like, you know, idea that we could do it better, but they've never done it. Uh, and so and when they get into it, the whole thing falls apart and they change it up. But the one key, the one key thing about entrepreneurs is they're doing it for a, a reason. It's always a personal reason. Everything we do is some sort of personal reason. And so I think the essence of what we're talking about in, in terms of vision is we are all human. We all believe our existence is important. Even, even people who would suggest that we you know, are made from piles of goo, we sure, th we sure think that we're not. We sure think that it is vitally important what we're going to do on this, you know, in, with this one life that we have. We're sure headed for some sort of end. And whether, whether it be fame so that people will love us, power so that people will, so we can control people and somehow control that they, they, they love us, uh, somehow not do bad things so that people love us. It, it all comes back to how can I, how, how am I going to be accepted? What am I going to do in the world and how am I going to be accepted for doing it? That goes back to even the, even the map that we follow as kids. You know, I, at one point in time, this is, I don't want to get too far on a tangent here, but at one point in time, I was running, I was running a, a successful entrepreneurial business. I had three children at home, you know, wife works part time, and I hated cutting my my grass. I hated it. I was bad at it. Uh, it took me forever, and I and I thought I should get a lawn mowing company to cut my grass. And the first voice that showed up in my head was my dad's. And I heard, I heard him so clearly in my head that as soon as I was going to get somebody to cut my grass, he was going to somehow show up and say, oh, you can't cut your own grass. <laughs> and, and sure enough, I ended up getting a lawn mowing company and showed up. Well, you can't cut your own grass. And the truth was in, in my, in my vision of the world, somehow I still need to maintain, I was like a, I don't know, 20, 26 year old man, you know, with a couple of kids, like I somehow still need to maintain the acceptance of my father on whether I, or non-judgment of my father, however you want to look at it, the acceptance of my father on whether I had a lawn mowing company mow my lawn. I don't like mowing a lawn. I'm not good at it. Why don't we go pay somebody to do that? So in my vision of the world, at one point in time, I felt like I needed to have some sort of acceptance. And all of our visions do kind of, do kind of 
work towards that end. I'm going to do something so that I can be fully accepted and fully loved by the people I care about. We all, we all push to that end. And so this idea of creating some sort of vision and how it plays out in our worlds, the, a compelling vision for our lives would somehow to be, to know, would, would somehow be rooted in uh, whatever I do, I'm already accepted and I'm already loved and, and life is to be lived and I'm going to go live my damn life. And I might be wrong about it. And so I'm going to have people around me and I'm going to trust that somehow they're not there randomly. I'm going to have people around me who can speak into my life and I'm going to allow them to speak into my life and, and open myself up to opportunity and possibility and not push so hard, I think, into, into the creative process. I think we sometimes can get pushing so hard into the creative process as though we have to squeeze every last drop out of this lemon. That's not true. Why, if you're gonna, if you want to just enjoy lemonade, just squeeze the lemons. Tomorrow's there's gonna be another lemon growing some someplace else. Squeeze that one until, but don't, don't like, don't muscle it so much that you lose all the joy of drinking lemonade because your 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 fist is you know is is somehow, uh, you know you you strangled yourself in this and you're in pain because you wanted to have something good. I so I think. I think that vision is a, is a deep, deep topic. It gets back into what we believe about ourselves and the world and our relation to the world. Uh, and, I, and in our Western culture, which seems to be propagating around the planet, I don't, I don't know that this idea that we have to squeeze a, a, a compelling vision out of our lives it, that, is, that is amazing and people are going to love us for it. I don't think that's working. We live in we live in a culture right now that has one of the highest uh, suicide rates ever. We live in a culture that is more disconnected and lonely. We have a culture of broken of broken families and relationships. And if you look around the world, that is not true. In cultures where they just exist and they and they and they love one another in uh, in tight knit family relationships, and they're not looking to you know, to, to optimize their future and optimize everything. They, they exist with less for sure. But I would challenge this idea that somehow we should be existing for more and better all the time as though that that's somehow the goal. I don't think it is. It's not working. Uh, so not, not as people, it might be working for our companies, but let's not lie to ourselves. Not one of us is going to wish that we spent more time at the office. Not one of us. We work we work, I mean, today it's Memorial Day. We, we work so that we can go play. And somehow that gets misaligned in the fact that why don't we just, why don't we just live today? And why do we have to keep pushing for more and better constantly? Just relax for a moment, you know? I love this. I actually have three questions, but I'll choose one of them, which is to your latest point that you spoke about. There are some philosophers like Bertrand Russell and all those who has, I think, an essay, a very famous one, I think it's in praise of idleness, where he spoke about exactly what you're speaking about, that there is this culture that was propagated, especially by aristocrats who are leisurely all day telling the peasants, oh, hard work is the virtue, you have to work harder in order 
to live and all that and then to him machine or software game came with a promise of taking so much off your plate the work that you should do that you should have the leisurely time like the aristocrats but for some reason people are multiplying their work although they have so much more leverage than they ever had before and therefore to ask you what is it about human beings that is pushing them to overwork although they could multiply and do today what a whole department could need was needed to do just one person a solo entrepreneur or solopreneur could do it or are we living in such increasingly competitive times that really you have to be 20 times more productive than ever just to uh, survive <laughs> well the first thing that comes to me, i i i would love to noodle on that um that question a little bit more to come up with maybe a better answer but i think your your question which which was which i heard was what is it about human beings that causes us to want to overwork or is overwork necessary and it's not really about human beings it's like necessity i don't think overwork is necessary historically it's not been um here's what i i'm going to i'm going to go off my gut here <laughs> and try and answer your question as best I can. Um, I think that people are on a quest deep down to be loved, to be fully seen and fully accepted, right? And we mask, particularly our Western culture, we mask all sorts of, prop, all, all, all sorts of problems within ourselves in work. So if I, if I need, if I need your acceptance, like, you know, how, how could I be accepted by you? You introduced this podcast with a whole a massive resume of things that I've done. And, and it's, it's pretty impressive, actually. I've done a lot of stuff. And I can tell you, though, that in the wake of doing a lot of that stuff, a lot of it was not profitable or worth it. It's brought me to this point. And I'm pretty happy with myself, but you know what? I don't have all this. I don't have a lot of the trappings of all the stuff that I once had, and I don't miss it. I'm glad it's gone. I'm glad my life is a whole lot simpler now. But it took. It actually took the creation of all that stuff to realize. Oh gosh, that was. <laughs> I didn't want any of that stuff. But I did that because at one point in time I thought, well, I've got all of this talent. I've got all this opportunity. I need to go make the most of that. I need to do, 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 create, 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 create. And I loved it. It wasn't that I didn't love it. But it, but in some way, I felt that somehow I was misusing, uh, misusing and not optimizing and not being efficient enough and not not creating enough with all this, with with my abilities. And at some level, deep down, I would suggest, and I think I'm right on this, I would suggest that the root of that is somehow I wasn't okay with just being okay. Like, are you enough right now? Are you enough? For yourself, can you look yourself in the mirror and say, hey, you know, dude, I love you. I love exactly who you are. And you don't need more. You're okay. You're, you are okay. And I think most people cannot do that. And so we go about creating or wanting more things so that we can be okay with ourselves because we are deathly afraid. We are deathly afraid that we would go on to some sort of podcast and the person would look at you and go, ugh, this, you're not worth it. I don't even know why I spent time with you today. What could possibly be the point of talking to you? 
And then you go, ah, well, now what do I do? I'm unloved, right? Or worse yet, we go to our homes and we go, this home isn't good enough. I can't invite anybody over. Shit, I live in a two bed, I, I live in a two bedroom apartment with a dog who I love. He's amazing. <laughs> My backyard's not great. I'm, I'm not super proud of it right now. And I was thinking about inviting people over the other day. And my one, one of my thoughts was, would I want, would I want, would I be, would I want to invite people over? Uh, or would they, would some of these people that I know, cause I know people all around the world, very, very wealthy people, would they be okay with coming to my backyard or should I go to their backyard for Memorial Day? Why that thought? Oh, oh, because are you really okay with yourself? Because if you're really not okay with yourself, it's going to work its way out in all sorts of weird ways, most likely in trying to overwork yourself so that you can somehow get more because eventually you're going to be okay with yourself. It really does boil down to, am I loved? And if I'm loved, by whom? And will the, and how, how tenuous is that love situation? Can I be discarded tomorrow? Because if I, can, if I can be discarded tomorrow, well, you know what I need to do? I need to go start a business so that no one can discard me. That's bullshit. Now, now you've got a bunch of customers who can discard you tomorrow. So it really does boil down to all the stuff that we think we've, we're creating. <laughs> this is going to get super philosophical, but you started it. So all the stuff that we're creating is held together by the thin cord of agreement. Everything. Everything that we do, anytime you get two people together, there's just a thin cord of agreement and that thin cord can be broken so easily, so easily. If all the employees of a business showed up one day and are like, hey, you know, we're not working for this business anymore. They just agreed to that this isn't a business anymore. The business is done. The rest is paperwork. Everything that we have is built on relationships and all of our problems are because of relationships. And... And they are so, so fragile. We are fragile human beings and most people will not stand up and tell you the truth and say, listen, I'm fragile. And you know what? On one level, I really want you to like me. And I'm afraid that you won't. Everybody does that. That's why, so the root of overworking, the root of overworking is we're just not okay with what we have. Thank you. That was really powerful. It resonated in a very true way and it came from the heart. So I thank you for that. And if people want to connect with you to know what you're up to, to learn more about your thoughts, your perspectives, to find the thin common ground piece together, what are the best links or best places for them to go to? And I'll make sure to write some in the description for this episode. You can hit me up at therealjtod.com. You can find me at therealjtod.com. There's a whole list of all the things that I've done. There's a link to connect with me. I'm writing a book right now. Uh, it's, it's great timing. I've, it's, I've, I almost have the, uh, well, maybe by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be out. Uh, but within the next month or so, I should have a book out. And, and it actually, I'm interested, I'm, it's amazing that you're addressing this topic because the, the topic is what could be. How are you going to put together the things the things that you could do in your life? Uh, and what are your superpowers and how are you going to go about owning that uh, so that you feel like you're living a life of meaning and, and meaning and purpose? That's very important. I believe in many ways we're living, you know, in a reality that 
It, that's what we're supposed to do, but a lot of people are living in a, an old world order thinking where they don't see that yet or don't think it is possible now. Well, it's the only safest, like if, if there is something called safe, <laughs> the safe way is to find your strength, to find your vision and to live life in a way where you're resonant with your true self, building relationships with others who are on the same path as you, who are meant to be like you said. And thank you so much, uh, Jason. This was my privilege, my honor, such an enriching conversation that could go on for longer. <laughs> and I wish you to keep going and good luck with the book. Thank you so much. Appreciate you having me.